I invite you to join me in James chapter number 5 today. How many have their bookmarks there anyway? This happens, doesn't it? James chapter number 5. Today we're going to look especially at verse number 11. Recount those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We're going to focus on part of that verse today. But first we're going to talk to the Lord about it. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as a congregation and yet as individuals and even better as your children. We have your word open in front of us, which is such a privilege to have. These are the words that you want us to see and to know and to respond to. And I pray that we're ready for all of that today as we open up your word. Challenge us with it, we pray. Challenge us thoroughly. Work in our hearts. Draw us closer to you through this time, especially in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about a living faith. Not a faith that you just have, but a faith that you live. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. I notice this, and this time of year I notice it especially. We set the bird feeder out in the backyard, and it's rather interesting to watch. We're always eager to see what might show up. And as we get closer to spring, we get some interesting birds out there. But uh, yesterday, they were doing it again, just like they have so many times before. You have about one, maybe two birds that are up actually at the feeder. And then there's five, ten, fifteen birds out in the yard looking around for seed. Now you always think, why don't you just go to the source? Instead, they're just all over the yard working so hard to find something to eat. Well, there's two up there just enjoying the whole big pile of seeds set out for them. And then I got to thinking, I wonder how many of us are like that. We talk about living faith. We're called to have an incredible faith in an incredible God. To walk with Him day by day. Not just say, I believe in Him. Or I sign the doctrinal statement, or I I have those things. But to walk in the privilege of a living faith, a day by day. In other words, I don't want to be the bird down on the ground anymore. Just picking around, looking for a little piece of this and a little piece of that. When I have the source that I can go to. So... Quick evaluation of our own hearts, our own lives, our own characteristics. Where are we when it comes to living faith? Are we truly living that faith? Or are we sampling it? As I've been talking about living faith here in James chapter number 5, there are a lot of topics in this chapter. It goes on quite a ways. It gets into some very interesting verses. And we're just about on the verge of some of those Very interesting verses. 
But he's laying for us the foundation in these first handful of verses, all the way to where we are here in verse number 11, that I think is worthwhile for us to keep stating. And you say, but pastor, some of this you just said last week. You said two weeks ago, you said three weeks ago. You've just been saying the same thing. And here's my rationale for what I'm about to do. Anytime you get in an airplane, the pilot goes through his checklist. And I don't know anybody who complains about that. But he goes through and says, this is important, and this is important, and this is important. And he checks them all off before he ever takes that plane out on the the taxi out and takes it to the runway and takes off. There are things I want to take off with here. Yes, each verse does that. But I have to keep stating the things that it's based on. So we don't come up with wild interpretations and, and just have no place to anchor it all. So I've been, if you haven't noticed, I've been shortening it each week by giving you the highlights because I assume that you're caught on by now and you're following, but some people haven't been with us every week, so there's a touch of review, and it's necessary for us to do this. In verse 7 through verse number 11, that's a paragraph we're on. He says, therefore be patient, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We have a calling. This book, the book of James, if we went through the whole book, we would see it without any doubt whatsoever. But I could highlight it real simply, as I have before. We are to depend upon God. We are to do that. We are to learn that. And again, it's not just a sample of it, folks. That's what living faith is all about. Is actually depending on Him. Not in word, but also in deed. James would tell us that. We don't want to just do part of this. We want the whole. We have to learn to rely upon God. That means when we're producing works, which we're called to do, we're depending on Him. Because it's His works produced in us. When it comes to self-control, that also is His work in us. We had a study years ago on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. We must walk by the Spirit. If you're looking for peace, patience, joy, love, those concepts, those are His works in you. Many times, lack of self-control is because we're not walking with Him. I I don't mean to make it so simplistic, but it is that simple. Alright? We are told to walk with Him. And that's where self-control comes from, and we're told to have that in the book of James as well. And then we're to produce this reliance upon God. We are to live out the things that we are called to. Now when James wrote this letter, he was writing to a group of people that were having a hard time. We saw that in the first couple of verses of chapter 5. They're suffering from injustice. Injustice is, is in their picture that they had worked for somebody, that person refused to pay them. 
That person was living it up instead. That person was intentionally withholding it because it was a form of persecution. He goes to say it had it, their aim was at the righteous. And we see that in the first handful of verses of chapter number 5. James is telling them how to live through that, which is hard. Very, very hard. He's telling them how to live through that. He gives them principles to follow. Now, from them... If they did that, we're supposed to learn, right? They caught on, they knew what to do, they lived it out. The problem is, we don't know how they did. We don't have James book number two, do we? We don't know from the book of Acts how they did. We don't have the answer. We assume that they probably listened to James and they did it. But we don't have their example, do we? Matter of fact, God's not surprised that we don't have that example. He says, now, this is what James tells them. This is what they were supposed to do. But that's not any different than what God has told his other people to do. He says, I do have examples for you to follow. They're the prophets. And they also include a man named Job. That's what he does here in verse number 10 and 11. They are your examples of what James is teaching. I think that's very useful for us, you see. The issue is injustice. <laughs> and a lot of us know it well. In one way or another, maybe different situations, but this is an issue about becoming righteous or living righteous in a world where you're not liked for that. Do you know you live in a world like that too? It becomes more apparent all the time. Living godly in an ungodly world is tough. It's tough. The issue is, they condemn you. They put you to death. But the issue is, how do you live under that? Well, he gave instruction. Starting right there, where is it? Verse number 8. No, verse 7. Verse 8. Verse 9. Remember them? Be patient. Number 2. Be patient. Number three, strengthen your heart. Number four, don't grumble. Easy things to do. Make your checklist, see how you're doing, right? Now, obviously those are challenges because those all demand dependence upon God. They, everyone requires dependence upon God. Those are indicators of your faith, by the way. If you're impatient, check your faith. If your heart is weak, check your faith. If you're grumbling, check your faith. Those are the signs of living faith. Alright? Those are the signs that we're looking at here. James strikes right at the heart. He strikes right at the attitude. He knows this pretty well. <laughs> He says, this is what you need to do. He said, but you know, life's tough. It's hard. Yes. There's a lot of pressure. Yes. We get busy. Yes. So you're different than the prophets, right? You're different than the people in James' day, right? I don't think we are. Even when we're tired or we're overwhelmed, we're told, take their example, trace it out, follow it. So he tells us in verse number 10 again, 
As an example, brethren, the suffering of patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Not a suggestion, a command. Study them. Trace them out. Understand, understand how they did that. They did what they were told to do. Follow their example. Now, we talked a little bit about them last week. We talked about the fact that not all of them seemed to be very patient. Not all of them could avoid the grumbling side and all that. And you know what? Even by that, you learned, didn't you? You learned the example of how not to do it. If God says to go someplace, don't go the other way unless you like being fish food. Did you not learn that example? When you sit alone in a cave and say, there's nobody else left, Lord, kill me. Well, you say, well, I might have felt that way once or twice. I know another man who did too. And God talked to him about that. Black and white. He just says, these are the examples of what we're to follow. We learn by their, their obedience. We learn by their disobedience. All of them set examples for us. They're set examples for us to trust the Lord, to depend upon Him, to have living faith. And we said in verse number 11, blessed, we count those blessed who endured. They held up. They stood their ground. They were under that pressure. And they persevered. They made it. We have their record. We have their story. And it wasn't so much what they did. It was what God did in them. We have that record, don't we? All right. So, that's where it sets us up for what we're going to do today. We are told to learn from their example. Learning learning means more than just hearing it. Learning means doing it. We live it. We become examples. Examples for other people to follow. And our world desperately needs people living by faith. You want to be that person who sets the example for somebody else? That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be. Now, it's not easy. These people will testify to that. That's not easy. It's a difficult thing to endure. Yet, it is expected. All right? It is expected of us, even if it is difficult. We have to stay in our place. We have to to keep up the example. We have to, to do it even if it seems that we are alone. Do it. That's the example that we've seen, because quitting is not an option. The point is rely upon God. That's the point. Don't quit. Rely upon Him. Rely upon Him. Enter Job. You know the story of Job? Let's find out. There are, in verse number 11, two testimonies for you. The testimony of Job... And the testimony of the Lord. We're going to do the testimony of the Lord next week. Today we're going to look at the testimony of Job. It's right there in verse number 11 at the start. You have heard of the endurance of Job. If you put a period there, that's our message. 
The rest of it is what God had done. But let's talk about Job today, and let's see what we can learn from Job. If he's our example, we've got to look at it. The endurance of Job, that means he stayed under something. He remained, he awaited, he endured, he was patient, he persevered. It wasn't easy. It was very difficult. Yet it was expected of him. It even seemed he did it alone. Yet he did not quit. Say, well, okay, what happened? You can find the book of Job, can't you? If you find the book of Psalms, go in front of it. That great big long book there is called Job. The book of Job starts in chapter 1. Now, don't let that panic you. (laughs) We're not going to cover the whole book, all right? We're just going to look at a few verses here just to see what are we to learn from Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz. That's not Oz. It's Uz. Probably somewhere around Babylon. We're not exactly sure. But in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Do you like his testimony? Yes. You want to be like that? Yes. There you go. Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. I would suggest that's not easy. Job was about to be tested. He's about to be tested from verse number 8 through verse number 12. I want you to be aware of something as we start to read these verses, 8 through 12. Job had no idea what was going on. Job did not have the luxury of knowing what was going on in spiritual or heavenly circles. (laughs) Poor Job was hit with something that left him with one big question. Why? And you know what? In the end, that question is never answered. God does not tell him why. Would you find that hard? That's the same thing we do. We say, why? Why? God does not say why to Job. Here it says in verse number 8, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. This is God's testimony about Job. I like that. Would you like God to say that of you? Satan answered the Lord in verse number 9 and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You gave him everything. Of course he's going to treat you right, God. He's going to follow your ways. You have blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. 
He's got everything. Of course, he's going to be this kind of a person. But he says to God, he says, oh, all you need to do is put out your hand right now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not pour, put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. The test was this. Is Job a righteous man because of the benefits that you give to him? Or is he a righteous man because he truly seeks to love you? Let's find out. What makes him so righteous? So, here's the tragedy that went with that. Verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants by the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. You've just lost your donkeys and your oxen, Job. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire from God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a terrible thing. All the sheep and his servants are poof, up in flame. Wow. This guy escaped. That's a bad day. While he was still speaking, verse 17 says, another one came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. This is not getting better, is it? He's lost donkey and oxen. He's lost his sheep and his servants. He's lost his camel and his servants, being attacked by this group, attacked by that group, and fire falling out of the sky. All in the same breath, it seems. And while he was still speaking, verse 18 says, Another one came also and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell in on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You want to trade places? Ouch. Job could look at that like most of us would say and say, Wow, what is going on? What has happened here? He's got a heavy point to grieve, doesn't he? I mean, that struck at a place that none of you want to know. That's his children. They were just killed. The house collapsed on him. He'd say, I could lose the camels, I could lose the donkeys, I could lose the sheep. I could even maybe lose some servants here and there. But Lord, you took my kids. Would you ask why at this point? Because this doesn't happen to anybody on any day like this, does it? That's incredible, Job. Oh, you say, okay, that's tragedy. That's terrible tragedy. It's not over yet, chapter 2. Chapter 2. Because Satan found out that it didn't change Job's opinion of God. And so he went and talked to the Lord about it again. And he says, well, of course he's going to still trust you. He's still going to follow you because you didn't touch his health. Touch his health and now you've got the 
where a person sits. You're really aiming at his heart when you deal with his health. And so Job was uh, under Satan's attack, this time from his health. Chapter 2, verse 7. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You can never, never exaggerate what he just experienced. We could say, boy, he was covered with sores. That doesn't hardly touch the point, because there's pain in this, too. There's dryness and scraping and itching, and you know, there's a lot to this that we don't understand. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head. He took a potsherd to scrape himself, a piece of broken pottery. He sat among the ashes, and he just scraped and scraped and scraped. You say, that's a tragedy. On top of the fact that he was mourning, he lost all these other things. We have in verse number 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity Curse God and die. That helped. Job's response. Back in chapter 1, verse 20, when the first thing happened, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. He said in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Wow. Okay. His wife came and said to him, Curse God and die. What's his response? Chapter 2, verse 10. He said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Chapter 13, verse 15. Chapter 13, verse 15. I'm going to show you a couple of captions, quotes, from Job himself. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my way before him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Chapter 19, verse 23 through 27. Chapter 19, 23-27 through 27. Oh, that my words were written! Oh, that they were inscribed in a book! That with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the last, he will take his stand on this earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, yet 
from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and with whom my eyes will see, and not another. Look at the next phrase. My heart faints within me. The anguish of these words are incredible. These are not easy statements to say when tears are coming down your face. He says, oh, that this was just written down so people could see it on a rate in a permanent way. And God says, perfect. Let's write it. Let's put it in the book. This is Job talking to you. This is what Job had to say. I know. Isn't that a great thing to have to say? When you don't know why, you could at least say, I know. I know what? I know my Redeemer. I know my God. I know who He is. There's a lot more we could say from this book. But for our sakes today, let's just examine the little bit I just gave to you. It's real simple. His example, we saw it. Trace this out, because you've got to do it. That's what we're told. He was godly in an ungodly world. Notice he was singled out. (laughs) This man was blameless. He was upright. He was fearing God. He was turning away from evil. Our world needs examples like that today. That's called living faith. He was, number two, real with his emotion and his expressions. Job arose and he did tear his robe. And he did shave his head. And he did sit in the ashes. And he did say, my heart is fainting. That's real. We're not artificial Christians, are we? People go about just saying things randomly without any heart to them. I'd much rather see a faith that has heart to it, an emotion to it, than one that just answers everything with a cliché. Job was not a man of (laughs) clichés. He was real. He expressed what he felt. He showed how he felt. Those were real. And yet, here's the third thing that went with this example. He was quick to turn to God. He was quick. Even at his worst moments, it says, he fell to the ground and worshipped. His first response before his God. He worshipped. His words were, blessed be the name of the Lord. Number four, he was careful. He was careful and he responded properly. In these verses, it says, like in chapter 122, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And it also said there in chapter number 2, he did not sin with his lips. I'm afraid to say it, folks, but that's where we usually start our problems. It's what comes out of the mouth. It's so quick, isn't it? Why? Because we think that's what that solves the problem? <laughs> we think it's best to, to say something immediately. Usually it's not pleasant. 
It's usually not ouch either. Think about it. Job showed self-control. He did not use his mouth in an uncomplimentary way. He did not use his mouth to defame his God. He did not use his mouth to commit a sin. He was careful. Number five. He was opposed. He was opposed, yes. And he kept true to his devotion to God. Even in all this, even with his wife saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Even with that, his response was, should we not indeed accept from God the good and the adversity? Number six, he was fully committed to trusting the Lord. There was no partial faith here. Fully committed. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Chew on those words for a while. Wow. Number seven. He was absolutely sure that his faith was not misplaced in God. Absolutely sure of that. He says, I want it written down. Because I'm so sure of it. I know my Redeemer lives. He didn't hesitate. He wanted people to see. If anything we learn from Job's life is that he knew God lives. And isn't it funny? When we have such terrible things happen, the first thing we ask is, is there really a God? Does he really care? Where was he right now? When we just went through that. I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it one more time, alright? What was I going to say? To the measure we know Him, it's the measure we trust Him. To the measure you know Him, you have the measure you trust Him. James pulls up this example and he says, you want somebody who endured. You want an example that you can trace out of a man who remained under that, trusting his God. It's Job. Now, there's a lot of chapters in this book and a lot of conversation in this book. And you can go through it and you're going to say, wow, this is deep. This is hard. This, I, don't, I don't get half of it. But step back and look at a man who lived by faith. That's what you see. Did he struggle? Yes, he struggled. Read his book. Did he have friends? Yes, he had friends who were supposed to there to help him, and he was under opposition there too at times. Living faith, though, is not partial faith. It's not a piece of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about what James says. The Lord's testimony in all this. Here's what's really interesting in that same verse in James, after it says, look at Job and his endurance. And then the rest of it says, and we have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, and the Lord is full of compassion. The Lord is merciful. You say, wait a minute, I just read the story. We ought to live by faith, 
Whether or not we see next week. Or the next day. Or the next hour. If we never see the outcome of it all, we should still live by faith. Down here, live by faith. We're called to live in faith. Whether or not we see fully what the Lord did and why He did it. What it means by compassion. What it means by mercy. What it means by justice. What it means by righteousness. What it means by holiness. We may not have all the answers down here, but we do know we're to walk by faith. Right? We're to walk by faith. Regardless, we're to walk by faith. That's living faith. To the measure we know Him, that's the measure we trust Him. Here's a thought for you. It's very likely that Job was the very first book written in our Bible. You know what that means? Job did not pull out his Bible to find out how to live. Job did not have an Old Testament to find examples of what to do. Job did not have a New Testament to say, hey, that's what I was supposed to have learned. Job did not see the rules, be patient, be patient, strengthen your heart, and don't grumble. He didn't have that in front of him. He said, well, then how did he do this? <laughs> he knew the Lord. He knew the Lord. Is that obvious? Yes. He trusted the Lord. That is quite apparent. He knew and trusted the Lord. Folks, what's our excuse for puny faith? Job didn't have anything that we have today. He didn't have the Old Testament to help him. He didn't have the New Testament to help him. He doesn't have 6,000 years of history to tell him how people did this. And here we are today, sometimes with very puny faith, and we say, oh, but I've got a good reason for that. <laughs> Can we say, we don't know what the Lord wants of us? Can we say, oh, we've never seen this lived out before. We don't know how to do it. Can we say, God expects too much? You see, the point is simple for me this morning. I don't want to be satisfied with just a portion. Just a little piece. Just a little bit that fell out of the feeder way over there. I want the source. Don't you? I don't want some pathetic testimony of, of people wondering if I trusted God or not. I don't want that testimony. I don't want to respond to the challenges of this life in some self-centered way, in some self-protecting way, in some defensive worldly way. There's too many examples of that. I don't want to be that way, do you? I don't want to set an example like that before you. And quite honestly, I don't want you to set an example like that before me. Because we're all called to this together, aren't we? 
We're called to a living faith. A faith that depends upon God. That trusts Him. Is that easy? No. Everybody in this book would tell you so. It's not easy. Is it expected? Yes. We're called to that. Living faith. Boy, what a challenge this is, isn't it? How about if I give you a week to pray about all this? Because we still have questions. And next week we're going to have more. But the theme won't change. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We need your help. When we read these things, they're kind of scary. To walk by faith is not easy, but nobody ever said it was. Do we know who you are? Do we trust you? Are we sure of what you have done? And what you're doing. And what you're going to do. Are we willing? Oh, I think it's starting to get close to our hearts now. Are we willing to follow you? To walk by faith. True faith. Living faith. Not the substitutes. Not the pieces. Not the parts. Not the artificial. But true, authentic, genuine, living faith. You've called us to it. Lord, bless us now with the strength to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.